very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast, brought to you by Researchable UX. It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. In this episode of Understanding Users, my first with an international guest, I chat to Vanessa about starting a UX career during a pandemic, the thrill of watching your own projects develop and actually go live, and the power of getting clients emotionally invested in the UX process. We also discuss the UX scene in Canada, her frustration that so many UX books seem to retread familiar themes, and how she's itching to know where UX goes from here. Finally, she plays my three-card challenge to share her favourite UX tool, favourite technique, and a trend she sees or would like to see in the future. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So my next guest is Vanessa Devine, and Vanessa is a UX designer and project manager at Cheeky Monkey Media in beautiful British Columbia in Canada. And I'm very excited, Vanessa, because this is my first episode with an overseas guest on the show. So I'm kind of excited to get and keen to hear about the Canadian perspective on user experience. So great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mike. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be the first international guest. I hope you guys find my accent as charming as Canadian finds your Canadians find yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you to say so. <laughs> I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, brilliant. So tell me a little bit about your role, Vanessa, and your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cheeky Monkey Media is a digital agency specializing in Drupal. Mainly, we also do some WordPress. We have teams of developers, digital marketers, obviously some excellent designers for both UI and UX, uh, and we provide web and marketing services for our clients. Cheeky Monkey has been around for almost 15 years, and uh, we help our clients manage the evolution of their digital presence. Um, and my role there, we kind of joke that the PM UX design role is a bit of a unicorn, uh, there's actually two of us at Cheeky Monkey who both have uh, UX credentials and experience, uh, as well as performing the project management role. And yeah, it's I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but it's been really interesting for me because I just love to have my hands in everything. And, and this kind of lets me do that and experience every side of the project. Right. So what kind of clients do you typically deal with? Are we talking um, public sector, you know, governmental? Is it private sector? Is it a mixture of both? Yeah, we do a little bit of everything. We do have a lot of uh, nonprofit clients, uh, as well as a lot of municipalities recently. Um, but we also help out kind of more smaller and mid-sized businesses as well. Right. And um, tell me what a, a typical day for you looks like. What does is, what is a, a day in UX look like for Vanessa? Yeah, um, you know, it's, <laughs> I feel like it's a cliche, but it's different every day a little bit. Um, I usually start out with some of my project management tasks. Um, so kind of getting things organized for when uh, the developers and marketing teams get in in the morning. Uh, I'm the scrum master for our agile 
stand-up meetings every morning. So kind of, you know, cleaning house a little bit is typically what my mornings look like. And then the afternoon is usually when I have the chance to, you know, start getting a little bit more creative and working on uh, my pieces of the projects in UX. Right. And tell me about your journey, your your career path to, to where you are now, Vanessa, because you've, uh, I was taking a, a sneaky peek at your LinkedIn profile earlier, and you've got some quite interesting uh, roles prior to this one. And I mentioned your path into UX and kind of how you got there and, and why you, you chose this particular industry. Yeah, it's certainly been a bit of a winding path for me. <laughs> when I've talked to other people in the UX community, uh, there's a lot of people who have like a development background or a graphic design background. Uh, my background, I did a lot of uh, finance in the construction business. So that's, I guess, maybe more the project management side of my role. Um, but the other job that a lot of people kind of point out is that I was actually a matchmaking consultant for an agency, for a dating agency. So that to me was something that really made me interested in UX because I just love dealing with people and figuring them out and kind of getting into what makes everyone unique. I love that. That's absolutely fascinating. You're the first person that I've spoken to on this show who's come from a, a matchmaking dating background into UX. But I, I could see that I could see the uh, the crossovers, if you like. I can see the differences, but I, that, that's great. And what have your last few roles been like? How did you kind of end up at Cheeky Monkey? Right. So, I mean, I guess how I got into UX from, you know, a background that's very much not that I had the opportunity to go back to school and I actually went to a, um, a career counselor and I was trying to figure out what I like because, you know, as I kind of mentioned, I like everything a little bit. Um, you know, I like being organized, but I like being creative and I love doing research and I enjoy like reading about the history of things. I like science. Like it was just like, what do I do when I don't have a specialty? And, <laughs> you know, maybe some people might not like that, but that's kind of how I fell into UX because I was like, wow, there is a position that will allow me to be creative and create things, but also to talk to people and do research and do all of the side pieces as well that you don't see in a lot of roles, uh, I felt like. So I was able to go to York University in Toronto, and I got a degree in UX. And then I actually did a bunch of networking. Um, I redid a, did some informational interviews. I reached out to people who are already in the field and kind of through a little domino effect of that, uh, Cheeky Monkey actually reached out to me. And that's how I uh, got my role there. That's great. Tell me then what advice or tips based on your own experience you'd give others aspiring to, to, to do what you do or to get into this world. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, kind of doing your research ahead of time, figuring out what parts of UX you like is important. Um, and then, like I said, kind of seeking out the people who are already in those roles and already doing those things. I don't think I've ever had anyone not get back to me when I've tried to talk to them. Everyone's been super friendly. It's been really like that was a really excellent experience for me. And there are people who I obviously still stay in contact with. Um, so I found that to be very valuable, potentially more than, you know, the educational side of things. Uh, the practical experience that came along with 
you know, speaking to people and reaching out. Um, there's actually a cool website called adplist.org. Have you heard of that one? adplist.org? No, I haven't. Tell me more. Uh, so they actually do like design mentorships. So you can like look it up. You can find someone who's in your niche or someone who's local and you can kind of uh, connect with someone who will review your portfolio or just meet with you and have coffee. Um, basically anything along those lines. Uh, so that was a, a really cool tool that, that I discovered along my path. Amazing. And and tell me about um, what is it that you, you love about what you do? You've talked a little bit about kind of the variety of your day-to-day -day work, and I think that's something common to, to, to UX designers in, in general. What is it which kind of gets you up in the morning and fires you up in your role? Yeah, like I mentioned, I just really love that I have the chance to do multiple things. Um, for me, it felt like it was really natural to have UX kind of go along with project management. I, I kind of, I have this thought that, you know, critical thinking is design thinking. Uh, if you look at kind of the two uh, outlines of like what each of those processes are, they're very similar. It's a very similar idea where, you know, you're, you're, you're empathizing with people, you're gathering information, you're making sense of that hodgepodge of information, uh, which is like kind of the critical thinking of the problem solving. Um, and then you, you know, uh, come up with a plan or a prototype and then you validate. Um, so to me, that process always made a lot of sense. And then I think the other aspect that I really like is that I get to kind of be in control of what I've designed. So, you know, it's, I, I can't imagine a world where I spend weeks and months developing something and getting it just right. And, you know, being a little bit invested in it and then just kind of letting it go into other people's hands. Uh, I love being around for the process and watching my projects develop and go live. And it's really cool to see. So how much does, um, how often do you do research as you're kind of working on things? And what, what, what does that, how does that fit into your workflow? Yeah, I think a lot of it is I do a lot of kind of like more of the preliminary research, almost like business analyst um, type stuff to start off with. Um, when we come to kind of like more UX with uh, user um, testing and things like that and stakeholder interviews, that tends to only be for like the much larger clients, um, some of the more mid-sized businesses and the nonprofits, depending, uh, don't always have the budget for that side of things. So we try to supplement in different ways. Um, there's kind of some neat tools for like, you know, artificial intelligence, eye tracking and kind of little secret ways of kind of uh, getting similar data without doing the whole rigmarole. That's interesting. So there's the, and this is a consistent problem, I think, researchers like me, and well, UXers in general come across is the reluctance often by clients, particularly when budgets are limited, to invest in, for example, research particularly because it's sort of deemed to be a, a cherry on the cake rather than actually fundamental to the cake. I don't know to what extent you found that in, in your work. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's something I see all the time. And again, as the project manager, sometimes I'm able to kind of uh, convince people of it because, you know, I kind of say, hey, like, 
this is the budget and like, this is the time. And, you know, this is where we can kind of squeak some things in because I think when, you know, especially after the initial discovery process that we do, it's like, oh, well, you know, this piece might actually not take that much time. Like, I think it would be really valuable for you guys to do a bit more research or do a bit more testing after the fact. So I'm kind of able to weasel it in sometimes that way. But yeah, absolutely. Like, I think every UXer I've talked to has experienced that where companies just don't have the budget and that's the first thing to get cut. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's more a budgetary thing than it is a willingness or perhaps it's both. One kind of is linked to the other. Um, that, yeah, people don't want to uh, commit time and resources to something that's perhaps not seen to be intrinsically part of the process until you've been through it. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's a good point about uh, until you've been through it, because the people who have gone through that process, you do kind of see that light bulb come on once you've uh, convinced them and kind of shown them the results. Um, people are often surprised by that. Yeah. And the, the flip side, so I asked you just now what you love, what do you, what frustrates you or challenges you or drives you a bit potty in, in what you do? <laughs> oh, um, when clients don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we've all been through that where, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink sometimes. Um, like I said, I try to be persuasive. I try to show the facts and try to uh, get them emotionally invested in the way I am. Um, but some people have their own ideas and uh, there's nothing you can do to stop them. And that, that that's really interesting. And the, and the hippo, you heard that phrase, you know, the highest paid person in the room. We've all been in rooms with meetings with stakeholders where ultimately it's the, the big cheese the, at the end of the table who kind of often makes the, the call from the client side, which is kind of like, no, no, look at the evidence. You know, like the, the, the testing we've done shows that this is the case, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, the other is, is chosen as the, you know, as the route to go down, et cetera. Have you come across that? Absolutely. Yes. Um... I always feel bad in those positions because, again, as project manager, I'm in constant contact with whoever their person is on the other side, whether that's another project manager or a department head. Um, so often that person and I will be on the same page. But like you said, then there's other stakeholders who, you know, kind of get the final call and uh, they don't agree necessarily. And unfortunately, it's hard to get time with those people because there's a little piece of me that always feels like, oh, well, if I could just get a bit more FaceTime with them, like we had a stakeholder interview with them. And so we've met, but they haven't been around for the past two months or so. So they don't know all the struggles that happened in that time. Right. Yeah. So following on from that, then, how do you ensure that the teams you're working with, whether it be kind of internal teams or stakeholder client teams, have users in mind and user centricity in mind in terms of you know when they're actually building the, the products and services that they're, they're all working on we have i have a couple of like little presentations that i go through honestly and this is usually part of our onboarding process um where again project manager big on processes love all that stuff so i usually kind of talk them through what some of these elements look like and that's usually how i get the the stakeholder buy-in to get them on board Right. And in terms of the working patterns you do, obviously COVID-19 has impacted all of us, obviously around the world. I'm interested to know in the last couple of years, how that's impacted on the kinds of work you do and, and how your ability to, to, to do what you do. 
So that one's actually maybe a bit of a hard question for me to answer because I kind of came into UX at the beginning of COVID. So I don't have a whole lot of experience from the before times um, in like in that industry in particular. That's interesting. So you're a, you're a, a, child of covid if i could put it like that for for ux you don't actually you, you yeah not having worked in the um I, so i actually as as things open up again as they are in the uk and hopefully they are in canada um in, in, from your perspective are things changing or are the processes you've been following just being used consistently i think a lot of it is going to stay the same i mean in the digital world you've always worked with people who weren't in your neighborhood so you know a lot of the zoom meetings and things like that i think they're here to stay people also just like working from home for the most part you know i guess there is the question about um when you have user testing it's always been best to have them kind of in the office with you because there's nuances that you can't get from camera and video clips so maybe there'll be a shift there but again uh with my company i don't have the opportunity to do that too too often so maybe not a big difference for me right right um i'm interested obviously you mentioned at the beginning that the canadian uh aspect to what well, you obviously in canada at the moment i'm interested to know the canadian perspective in terms of ux uh because obviously being very much based in the uk and working in the uk what's the what's the industry what's the scene like if i can call it like that on on the west coast or in canada in general yeah um i mean i obviously i'm proud of our scene like i think that we have some really excellent uh ux uh creators in canada and canadian tech is absolutely booming right now we've got so many companies who are starting to move here, um, mostly to Toronto, I think Montreal and Vancouver are kind of the main hubs, but there's even been some expansion within like Winnipeg. I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, very, we call it winter peg because it's kind of cold. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I know Meta came recently. Uh, Google is planning on tripling their workforce in Canada. Um, Shopify is huge here. I know several people who ha- who are in the UX department at Shopify, uh, and I'm always like blown away with what they get to work on and what they're doing currently. I actually think they have a UX podcast as well, if I remember correctly. So yeah, there's some cool stuff. Uh, gaming industries as well. Like, yeah, it's 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 amazing to see so many companies. Uh, moving here and growing here right that that's that's really interesting and in terms of the aside from the the kind of commercial side of things the the community the kind of meetups all of that the informal get-togethers what what's the scene like um particularly in bc for for that Mm -hmm. um during covid there was obviously you know uh, pulling back there were some online events during that time but kind of hit and miss about how many people would actually be able to show up. So those things are opening up again, definitely. I'm definitely getting more invitations uh, for meetups and kind of think tanks and things like that. And yeah, like I said, with the, uh, when I've reached out to people locally, always been super friendly, super helpful people. Um, So I really like the UX community around here. 
that's one of the lovely things about this industry. And again, it's it's come through again and again in these these chats and the pre- previous episodes. It's what I, my own experience of moving into UX about ten years ago. And uh, I think lots of people I've spoken to that there is a very warm and open and collaborative sense, which is which is very nice, isn't it? It, it brings you know, you know rising tide lifts all ships, and it, it benefits everybody. I think and people are keen to give back, which is certainly not the same i think in every industry <laughs> that's uh, yeah absolutely absolutely true just going back to kind of how you work i'm interested to know as you're working through a project in terms of the the knowledge and insights you're gathering and the and the for example maybe the prototype you're working on how do you share that with uh the clients what's your kind of way of of bringing the your your stakeholders along with you on the on the journey I have built a lot of templates actually. So we have different types of documentation and just hammering down communication. I am in constant communication with the stakeholders and with my clients on the various projects and just sharing every day, sharing a little bit more information. And then, like I said, once everything's kind of come together and I've got some good conclusions, I have some, you know, fun presentations and cool templates that I can share with them that they can take to, you know, the stakeholders within their company as well. And I think that they really like seeing and having something kind of like tangible to go along, especially when you're in a digital space, when you have something that you can, you know, print out or show in a presentation for meetings, it's always super appreciated. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what would be your presentation or deliverable, although I hate that word, format of, of choice, just out of interest, because I'm always keen to know how other people share their work with the, you say you've got a variety of formats. Is it, is it you know, the, not the dreaded death by PowerPoint or is it, do you prefer to do things face to face or how, how do you do it? I mean, again, I guess with COVID, face-to-face hasn't happened yeah. nearly as much. Uh, and we do have a lot of clients who are uh, across Canada and just not in Canada at all. So, you know, as you said, dreaded PowerPoint, I call them slide decks because, you know, it sounds a bit fancier. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, we do, we do a lot of those types of, of presentations. What are the key... Uh personality traits or characteristics if i can put it like that would you say um that someone needs to be to be a a good ux designer curiosity first and foremost absolutely like you someone who can't get enough like i said i think that that's something that uh drove me to this industry and i think it's served me very well just wanting to know a little bit about everything um i'm a big advocate for bringing different disciplines into what I'm doing, whether that's, you know, creatively, artistically, um, or uh, processes and like theologies and things like that. I pull from as much as I can. And I think that that gives me a little bit of extra information opposed to just kind of doing the tried and true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what about the academic research? Because it's something that I perhaps don't use enough of, but it's, you know, in the heat of battle when you're kind of working at pace often to start trawling, uh, you know, the, the Google Scholar, for example. Um, but there's obviously a huge amount of work that's been done in terms of academic research in this area and HCI and so on. I'm interested to know to what extent you use any of that. Uh, I do. I'm trying to think of if I've read anything recently. 
I haven't been focusing on papers too much. I have been doing a lot of reading. Um, and that's actually something that I was going to maybe complain about is that I feel like a lot of UX books haven't changed a whole lot over right. the years. You know, if you look at something like Don't Make Me Think, which is, you know, kind of a staple, I yeah. believe that was from 2000 or 2001. Uh, so it's a 20 year old book now and amazing book, great information. But I feel like a lot of uh, books that I've seen in the past maybe two or three years are slicing the pie in a different way. It's right. the same information from a slightly different point of view, which can be helpful because sometimes something will click for someone if it's presented in a different way. Um, but yeah, maybe I should be looking at more of the Google Scholar papers because I feel like there hasn't been enough change. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. There's a sort of hog called this design of everyday things is often is the, the sort of staple, isn't it? Yeah, don't make me think is another one. Um, yeah. But yeah, 20 years in our game is an awfully long time. <laughs> right. I mean, design of everyday things. I think the original it was maybe a little bit less technically oriented. And I think it was maybe even from like the 80s. Or it was 90s? 80s. Like, yeah. So it's yeah, 80s. Okay, it was. Old. So yeah, it's, the principles are good. I think that, you know, you need to kind of understand the core of things. Mm. Um, but I'm just itching to know where we go from here. Mm. That leads me on to asking you about your career. And it sounds like a real cheesy job interview question, but where do you see yourself going? Where, where do you want to go? Like in terms of skills and development and the career path? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. I've been taking it a day at a time lately, um, you know, especially with COVID, there's been a lot of uncertainty. So I think that, you know, for a project manager, I'm not planning too far ahead, <laughs> uh, but I'm always, always looking to grow. Um, I've been looking at different courses I can take. Like I'm, again, an advocate for that as well is just curiosity, always growing, learning more. Um, I haven't decided exactly what type of course I'm going to take because I want to learn about everything. <laughs> mm, yeah, always be learning. It's a good uh, good maxim to live by, isn't it? Um, right, last thing, three-card challenge. I've got my three cards here. I've got Ace of Hearts, Jack of Spades, and Queen of Diamonds. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hold them up to the camera. So tell me, one is trend, one is technique, and one is tool. Uh, let's start with the... Queen of Diamonds. Queen of Diamonds. So that is trend, Vanessa. So this is a trend. It's not necessarily a trend that you like. And I know some people balk at the idea of like there's all these listicle articles of UX trends, but something that you see, maybe you like, maybe you don't like in this game. Yeah. Um, I think <laughs> uh, I think a trend that I've been seeing that honestly has been bothering me uh, the last couple of months is there's been a bit of like us versus them rhetoric in the UX community. Uh, I think that a lot of it stems from, you know, there's always been that question of, you know, does UI belong in UX? Uh, a lot of kind of like infighting there and even, you know, different types of research, like what fits and what doesn't. And I've actually seen this kind of us versus them kind of come towards uh, you know, the original UXers and people who are graduating more recently, especially from boot camps. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of dislike from some of the older community 
towards people who are trying to break in. And that to me is disheartening. Like I said, everyone I've talked to personally has been so helpful and so open, but I feel like on some forums, you know, maybe LinkedIn and, uh, you know, the Reddit, subreddit, you know, there's people who have these negative opinions that, again, I don't like to see. Um, as we kind of mentioned, some of these books and, you know, base theories are getting a bit old now. And I feel like maybe, especially with how much things have changed during COVID, we're on the cusp of whatever that next iteration is for UX and change makes people uncomfortable. Mm. That's, that's kind of my theory about why I'm seeing like that source of negativity. Yeah. Okay. Next two cards. Uh, Jack of spades, please. Jack of spades is technique. So what is your, your favorite or favorite technique UX technique that you use or that you've seen used? Yeah, um, I always have a hard time picking favorites, but one that I have been using a bit more often is actually an alternative to the SWOT analysis. So, you know, SWOT being strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So the alternative to that that I've been using is called SOAR, which is strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results. The reason why I like this one is kind of reframing, right? So SWOT has a um, deficit approach is what they call it. So like, you know, the weaknesses and threats can sound a bit aggressive or not as inspirational. And when you kind of tweak that to talk about, you know, what the aspirations are, so that would be, you know, initiatives and processes and things that can get you closer to success, uh, as well as results. So making it more action-based because identifying your threats and weaknesses is good, but then what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. So I like to kind of focus on a bit more of that uh, positivity. I like that. That's a very inspiring way to think of it. You're right. Yeah. SWAT can be a little bit negative. Um, Brilliant. Last one then. That's the ace of hearts. Which is? Tool. So tell me about your, again, it doesn't have to be your favorite, but a, a UX tool that you like or that you, you've, um, you know, your perhaps is your, your, your go-to tool of choice. I have a feeling you might laugh at me for this a little bit, but when I've been thinking about it, I think the one thing I couldn't live without is a whiteboard. <laughs> I just, I, I, I've always been a very like tactile person and I love being able to like get up and walk through and do, you know, my sketching or just write things out. It's a whiteboard. So you can erase things, you can move things, you can do whatever you want with it. And then I usually like, I'll take a picture with my phone or something once I've kind of got it where I want it. Um, I feel like softwares and other things change so often. Give me a whiteboard. It just gets all the thoughts out of my head. That's interesting. So uh, most often the tool of, as you probably heard previous episodes, the tool that's cited is is Miro, which is obviously the virtual whiteboard. But it's interesting to hear that there's still a desire to go back to the, you know, the physical whiteboard. And I've got one in my home office here behind me. And yeah, there's something you're right, tactile and lovely about actually putting stuff up and moving it around and writing. In fairness, I haven't actually had a chance to use one of those virtual boards yet. So maybe that would be my new favorite. Right. Give it a try. <laughs> try try Miro and see what you think because it's 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 pretty cool, and you can collaborate and comment on it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, 
It's great. That has been lovely. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Have you got any other burning thoughts or comments to share before I before I let you go? I think I got through everything that I found interesting and wanted to kind of talk about. Great. So uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you inviting me here. That's all right. It's been been lovely to chat and uh, best best wishes in your, your ongoing career and your ongoing UX development. And uh, nice talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Users podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share it more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Links are in the show notes. Join me again next time and I'll be talking to another experienced UX professional and asking them to share their wisdom, tips and knowledge with me. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centred.